Hello, I'm Josina Kameling. I'm Head of Regulatory Outreach uh, for the EMEA region for CFA Institute. And I do a regular podcast on EU policy. And today I want to look at what is happening with the IPO market in the EU. I have with me Rainer Rees, Director General of FESE, which is the Federation of European Stock Exchanges in 30 countries and 36 exchanges. Welcome, Rainer. It's lovely Welcome. to have you here. Thank you. Um, CFA Institute, the EBRD, Accountancy Europe and FESE um, together were in a joint IPO task force. This was originally an initiative that was created by FESE back in 2015 and already had a first version. And now with the relaunch of Capital Markets Union, a new wind of innovation and change at the European level, this task force was relaunched in 2019 to feed into the new commission. The group was composed of corporate representatives and independent experts from financial services and met on three occasions with quite heavy interaction from the different perspectives. And it was interesting that we managed to get to a consensus because we had the stakeholders, the financial users, we had the banks, we had the asset managers, we had the professionals, the stock exchanges. And to come to a consensus shows that there is a sweet spot that the EU Commission can address to stimulate this market again. Caroline Nachtegaal, Dutch MEP from Renew, is the chair of the task force. And um, we had as observers members from the European Commission, European Parliamentary Research Service and the OECD. So again, um, looking very much to feed into the regulatory dialogue. And that was a key issue. If I go back to what CFA Institute back in 2013 already saw as the main barriers uh, for SMEs in the EU, it was that there was a lack of liquidity. Now, 74% of our members in a survey saw this as being the major concern. Lack of research coverage. This was pre-MIFID too. 52% of our members thought this was a big issue. Economic uncertainty, 42%, and different accounting standards and quality of financial statements disclosures compared to large companies was 38%. So the main barrier is really lack of liquidity and lack of research coverage. Successful initiatives that we then said could fit the SME renewal would be further investment-driven tax relief, creating social entrepreneurship funds, providing mentoring schemes, reducing capital adequacy and risk-weighting burdens, and furthering state and EU aid programs. Some of these have been done, some not. Um, <clears throat> if we then go to an EU Capital Markets Union survey we did at the initi initiation of the last legislature, we saw that taxation was one of the main elephants in the room. Very difficult to create a proper capital market without looking at this. Differences in legal frameworks, protectionist policies. And again, as a federation of European stock exchanges, this you must be seeing uh, all the time. Administrative burdens, insufficient secondary market liquidity in corporate debt markets and lack of investor demand for SMEs. It comes back again and again. Then we go to uh, a capital formation uh, research project we have done globally and which we're about to finish uh, for eight EU countries um, very soon. 
they're again looking at the issues. Why um, is the public market um, decreasing? What what is what is happening? Why are there less IPOs? If we look at 2018, there are 50 less IPOs in 2018 compared to 2015. What are the issues? Are we are we stimulating a private market with a consequent lack of transparency for investors? Is this a good thing or not? Again, the task force did look at that, and I'll be going into that with Reiner in 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 a minute. Fast forward to MIFID II, um, the big issue for uh, asset managers and for investors on research coverage and a sort of split uh, highlighting what the commissions are on research. Yes, good for investor transparency, but is it so good for research coverage? Is it so good? Is it providing a, a better view? Well, on that side, um, the IPO task force is a bit clearer than where we are at CFA Institute, but we did our survey last year, back in beginning of 2019, when it was probably too soon to say. What we did find then was that the sell side uh, was heavily impacted, um, that buy side professionals believe that the research quality was unchanged, but that the sell side saw that research quality had been decreasing. All survey respondents did see a concern on research coverage. And again, um, when we look at recent documents that have come out from the French AMF, the supervisory authority, they highlight the concerns on SMEs uh, research coverage that has been happening in France. The FCA in the UK, of course, has had a different story, but that may be because the UK market is, is a little bit different. And let me then come um, very quickly to our blueprint. And I will ask Reina also, because Feze has also produced a blueprint for, uh, recommend, with recommendations for the new five-year legislative period. But in our CFA Institute blueprint, we, we think that what is key is to re-encourage long-term investments and to be sure to have an efficient market for independent research and to look at the impact of regulatory measures on small firms. Key is to continue to set a clear focus on investor protection. But again, looking at what are the supervision mechanisms for um, rules and practices in cross-borders, cross-border issues. So where we are now, Rainer, we're at a crux. When are we going to be able to develop a capital markets that is fit for purpose for continental Europe? We're in Brexit uh, era. Uh, the London Stock Exchange, uh, highly liquid, very big London market. Um, how can we develop a continental European market? And throughout all the discussions with the different members of the task force, this was, I think, a very big uh, issue that we were all discussing. But I think um, I, I want to take you a little bit to your blueprint and your thoughts at FESE. Um, what were your recommendations to the Commission in your blueprint? And then go from there into the report itself. Well, I think uh, in the blueprint, we highlighted exactly the issues that you were referring to. And I think probably there's three areas, I would say, where Europe needs to rethink its strategic vision with regards how the EU27 will compete in global capital markets. I think, number one, we see that simply issuers here in Europe cannot get enough equity. That makes us more prone to exogenous shocks. And we've seen that in the financial crisis. 
we cannot scale up companies like in the US. That means we are losing many of the startups to China, to the US. We're not able to create the next uh, blue chip companies. And the US do with the Amazons, <clears throat> with the Microsofts, uh, etc. that are listed there. And they have a much younger population of blue chip companies than we Europeans do. So I think we need to find um, a way how to be able to rejuvenate and innovate our economy. And I think that's uh, a first set where we especially looked at in the IPO task reports, report, what we also cover in, uh, uh, in the FESA blueprint. The second area I would mention is how to really empower investors, how to have citizens to invest in for savings and pensions into uh, assets that will deliver return. And we see very often that unfortunately, through legislation, through historical uh, ways, they're herded into high uh, cost package products that very often do not invest in equity. And there's many reasons for this. Uh, some MIFID rules uh, around inducement. There is the rules around uh, uh, solvency two that discourage institutional investors to invest in equity, etc. But ultimately, it simply means that citizens receive not only a bad return, but they also pay a high cost for it. And thirdly, market structure. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that is a core for exchanges. In Europe, we have extremely intransparent opaque markets where we see a lot of trading happening in the OTC space or by the so-called systemic internalizers where no transparency is yielded. And probably now European markets with only around 40% lit are most opaque in the global setting. And that basically uh, means that we have failed to implement the G20 mandate to create more transparent, more fair and more liquid uh, markets here in Europe. And that is certainly something we think that needs to be urgently addressed. And I think it's you you pick up both on two points, one on rejuvenating uh, <clears throat> the capital markets. And I think that was a very interesting term. And also, I think uh, you refer, albeit indirectly, to the fact that we've had a lot of legislation which was purposefully addressing transparency, um, better cost structures for investors, which has not achieved that up to this time. So, uh, again, I think for this, this task force, part of the long discussions we had was looking at, um, is this legislation fit for purpose? But let me take you into um, the, the, the first, looking at the ecosystem. So how can the European Commission and how can uh, stakeholders like yourselves and um, investment firms uh, and professionals that, that we represent, how can we all together create a better IPO ecosystem? Well, I think the start here is probably, and we had that discussion, uh, not an easy one because we have a lot of national egoisms. And also, in reality, the Commission is limited by their powers because many of the issues that need to be addressed are within the remit of member states. Nevertheless, I think we need to probably have a collective vision where member states, parliament and commission need to come together and be bold. And for example, reporting requirements is very uh, important. Do we have the same accounting rules that are interpreted in a similar way? 
do we have the same tech space so that for foreign investors it is easier especially to understand issuers from smaller countries could we harmonize at least for capital market oriented companies insolvency law so what can we do to make it easier for international investors to also understand smaller companies from smaller markets Another area that was very much discussed in the task force is that many regulatory requirements could be simplified to encourage listing. And uh, I think we need strong investor protection, but we need to rethink is really all in the prospectus regulation and the market of use regulation necessary. Do we need to have such prescriptive small tick sizes for SMEs? And in the US, they're experimenting to allow for a bit more leeway here. For example, that brokers still have an incentive to trade and provide liquidity in these markets. So I think it is really coming together uh, and, and really creating a set of measures that simply will be a more friendly ecosystem towards listing. I think that's the one thing. The other thing that I would see is uh, probably take away unjustified incentives for the wrong kind of financing. Let me explain that. Uh, for example, private equity has grown and where, wherever private equity is equity and helps scale up companies is a great thing and is basically preparing companies to list. And where lately in a low interest rate environment and with the current monetary policies, we see private equity taking out loans, they're basically leveraging risk on the banking sector and in turn also on the real economy because these are the first companies that will go bust in a crisis. So we really need to make sure that we're not screwing through monetary policy as well as tax policies, debt equity bias to be mentioned, um, that we're not incentivizing the wrong kind of private equity to uh, really make our markets less uh, resilient to shocks, but rather more resilient to shocks. And I think what's so interesting what you mentioned there is to um, really where the legislator needs to be is to be very holistic, to look at economic governance, to look at um, the macro uh, view and to look at banking union and capital markets union together, because they're all different pieces of that puzzle. And I think probably one of the things that was missing was that it was all seen very individually and consequently some measures went against each other. So and and I think you you referred to that. I, I would very much agree, and I mean, I think if we see the last five years, I think the Commission has done a lot of things, and I think um, we thirty five files I think were concluded, and uh, all of them incrementally good. But I mean, they didn't change the outcome, and I think what we really need to do is rejuvenate our economy allow that we can invest in innovation and sustainability, and, and think, think who provide, we're doing it for. And think about investors and yep. ultimately give investors a better return for their savings and pensions. And I thought the high-level report, which came out last summer with the three countries, um, yep. France, Germany uh, and the Netherlands, was interesting in that it put a refocus on the buy side and the investor perspective, which I think is where, where we need to be. Absolutely. When we then look at um, equity research for SMEs, um, I mentioned it briefly that we had looked at um, very early on the effects of MIFID II. It is probably better, and I hope that we will be doing an update on, on MIFID II and investment research in uh, within the next uh, months or so. Um, but have they really had an impact on SME research? What did the members of our task force come out with on that? 
I think that was a very unanimous view that the SME research has certainly been complicated uh, by uh, quite a significant extent by MIFID II. A situation which already was not very good has simply worsened, where before companies maybe had one analyst, they now have zero. And I think we've accelerated a trend where we simply see less and less research. And also the requirements for research to be paid independently may work for some blue chips. But again, for um, uh, smaller companies, they very often cannot do that. And I think that's created a vicious circle for investors which are not prepared to pay for research. But again, if they don't have any information about the company, they're not really interested to invest. So research is important because it fuels liquidity. It sparks interest into the investments. And this really has led, in our view, to more liquidity and less attractiveness for investors. So I think it's an unintended effect of MIFID that simply the quality and the amount of equity research for SMEs has been reduced and that needs to be addressed. So what we concluded in the task force is that we would ask to amend the unbundling rules to allow brokers to send SME research reports to fund managers and also to probably establish a user-friendly platform for analysts to share their reports. So I think that would be two practical things. I think unbundling was done with a reason, so I'm not necessarily arguing against exactly. it for blue chips, yeah. but we need to find smart ways how to con counter the unintended effects. And there are differences. I mean, I referred to it in the beginning. There was a, There's a difference, for example, if mm -hmm. you are in the London market or if you are in, in France, size of SMEs are different. Um, so these give different perspectives. Um, but I think it, it, it quite clearly has affected the sell side and it has uh, quite clearly created issues that need to be closer looked at. So I think that that was one key element of this task force report. The other one was about funding. Now, we know that post-Brexit, this is going to be even more focused um, because continental Europe was always dominated by bank finance. How can we, Reiner, within the post-Brexit culture, how can we develop an equity culture in Europe? I always like to tell the story when I was an exchange student in the US when I was 15. And the difference that struck me the most is that equity investment was discussed at the dinner table because people needed to think how to manage their pension money. And I think it really starts with education early on. We need to improve financial literacy in the European Union. We need to ensure that citizens learn how to make investment decisions from their young age and how to finance their studies to the old age that really illiteracy doesn't become something that reinforces inequality, and that's today the case. So I think it really should be something that is in national school programs, uh, but not only for citizens. Also, I think co companies, investors, advisors need to be much better schooled. And I think that's where exchanges certainly have to play their part. Obviously, we're more focused here on the companies, but we're trying to educate them how to be better in uh, gaining access to professional services, how to coordinate stakeholder, how to manage the uh, IPO process, how to interact uh, with investors afterwards in, in, in their public relation and, and, and roadshows, etc. What perhaps is, is important though to remember, and, and I fully agree financial 
literacy and financial education for investors is key and in, in developing an equity culture and being aware that there is a pension gap and that we are going to have to finance in a different way than thus far. Um, however, probably what, what it will also impact is that as there is increasing sophistication, as there is increasing amounts of data, information, especially if we look at what's happening with sustainable finance, we're going to get even more reporting, even more information, which is going to drown the average investor. So that, that would also then say to you, yes, to financial education, but also, as you say, the financial advisor needs to be much more um, clued into and attuned to his investor, the person he has in front of him. What exactly does he need? And look at his life's perspective of what he will need Absolutely. if he if he can save for the next five years because he doesn't have children and he can put it into something um you know which which has a longer term perspective he should do that right. and i think those conversations are not happening today um okay so we've talked about bank finance how that really is 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 sort of let's say, a, a, a blocking because it is a, in one perspective only and not a diversity, which is what a capital market is about. But again, in Europe, of course, we also have taxation. Taxation, it's a national prerogative. Um, it's not yep. something that the EU can, in itself, the European Commission can legislate on. Um, but I have seen, and I'm sure you too, because we both have been around in this EU bubble for a long time, more and more there is a a, a, a willingness to talk about taxation. Do you think um, that with the fact that the Commission is asking for in its consultation on economic governance that we can start discussing this? And is it actually not helping equity investments, taxation, or is it really sort of on the sidelines? Well, right now, I think when it comes to taxation, we're probably in the perfect storm against equity. Uh, for example, Debt can be offset as a cost to uh, the company's P&L, whereas uh, uh, equity, well, not only does the co uh, company pay its corporate taxes, also when the dividends are passed on to the investor or the capital gains, they have to be taxed. So there's basically a double taxation. So this encourages really company to take on rather debt than equity, especially in the low interest rate environment. And that again means that the leveraging of our companies is much higher than, for example, in the US or Asia, which means our economy is more prone to shocks, which can translate then very easily to economic downturn, loss of uh, employment, uh, lack of growth, etc. So I think tax incentives should not skew these choices. They should create a level playing field mm -hmm. so that I think the best financing option for a company is available. And also, I think we need to think how to stimulate individual and investors to be more active in equity. Uh, we've seen in countries like uh, Scandinavia, the UK or the US yeah. uh, that actually in markets where we do incentivize citizens to invest for their savings and pension into equity and we provide uh, corresponding tax benefits for pension savings, for investments into smaller growth companies and the like, that that is quite successful. And that, uh, that also helps to address the point we talked about, literacy. Yeah. I think the more people need to think, this is the money I'm going to live off when I retire, 
the more they're going to be incentivized to learn about these type of investments. What is good for myself? What is possibly not so good for myself in the long term? So I think we really need to see that techs will provide a strong incentive to actually invest into equity and that individual investors learn to manage that. Yeah, and I think again, it's 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 the diversity and the increased dialogue that is going to be important. And I, I loved your example of discussing on your investments around the dinner table. It's true that you know, take the average European family, you will not see that happen. Right. Um, and that brings me then to financial innovation because we're in a we have a new generation uh, that is very queued up on financial innovation, is doing everything via its phone. Um, we're having increasing numbers of data. Uh, we're going to be awash with data. Um, again, how can that help um, re-stimulating uh, the IPO market? But what 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 vision should regulators have on this? Because yes, having all this data is very stimulating, but with the added dangers of of a, a sort of washing what is the reality of an investment, perhaps. Um, how how can regulators look at this? Well, first of all, I think technology in financial markets is nothing new. We have fully electronic markets for uh, many decades, but I think it's always a source of disruption and it offers new opportunities. And I think these are exciting in terms, and that's probably what regulators, but also I think all market players look look at, how to give better access to financial services. And I think that's true for consumers. That is true for the investor. That's true for the companies. I think how to bring greater choice and more user-friendly services at the end to, uh, uh, to, I think, the economic system. That's what I think financial technologies can do. And for example, we can think about crowdfunding platform as an example, how to potentially give alternative funding sources, uh, new ways how to communicate with your stakeholders, including investors, by doing online uh, information, investor relations, communication, and the like. You can think of databases that have recently come up on research, providing easy access to research. Uh, you can think of how to basically make financial products easier and accessible from your smartphone. So I think it's important for regulators probably to think uh, to be neutral on technology, to allow for this, I think, quite exciting new opportunities to emerge. Uh, but obviously, we need to have a level playing field. That means the same rules that are applied to the same services and risks. I think uh, in that sense, financial technology uh, or fintech, as it's always called, is a bit of a funny term because uh, finance has been full of digitalization and technology for Forever. probably 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> But I think uh, there's a way how we can basically do new things in a level playing field with proportionality and where I think we also need to be quite cautious. What uh, do we need to regulate and look at on a national and local level versus cross-border markets? I think cross-border markets have a huge opportunity. But of course, when we're looking at investor protection, very often we're still rooted in the national thinking. So I think that's also a debate that will happen in the fintech space. And that's when we look at the huge opportunities with cross-border investments. Again, we are re-stimulating Capital Markets Union 
Yeah. Going to maybe not call it a capital markets union, but a finance union. But in whatever way, we're trying to stimulate the market. We have this exciting total focus on sustainable finance. We have the Green Deal that came out of the, the commission. These two trends, can they grow together towards a fully sustainable economy, leading to an implosion of, through IPOs of, of companies that are focused on sustainability? Do you think it's it's a sort of blue sky thinking or do you think we can we can get there? Or do you think it's too much on the plate of the commission at the moment? Well, I think uh, it's extremely important. And I think uh, I'm very happy that Europe is leading in the sense of developing sustainability, taxonomy, and trying to include it into the investment process. However, I would say I would also put a lot of confidence into markets being at the forefront of this because uh, all the studies show sustainable investments have a higher return. And they're simply uh, where I think capital allocation will flow to the most efficient point and sustainability is more efficient. And that reminds me of a, of a discussion I had with someone a while ago who was saying, well, how come capital markets and sustainabilities, they have nothing to do together? And uh, isn't it uh, the sustainability guidelines of the banks when they're giving out debt? And I said, no, not at all. Yes, it's good that a bank has sustainability criteria and principles when they give out a loan for five or 10 years, but that's a one-time look at certain criteria. Much better if you have a daily valuation of what sustainability means how carbon footprint is valued in society when we go away from the carbon industry to more renewable energy, for example. That capital markets decide where actually the different notions of this is. And I think, yes, we need probably initiatives from the regulators and the commission is working on that to try to get the information out. What is the carbon footprint? What is the economic, economic, uh, ecological impact? But also not forgetting the governance and the social components of it, because I always think right now it's great. We focus a lot on sustainability. However, sustainability also has to come with good governance and we need to be mindful of the social impacts it has. Which is something, one of the core objectives of the European Union. Yeah. I agree with you. I think governance is, is the framework. And without proper governance, uh, you know, we, and, we will fail. And um, capital markets are really the only tool that will do that in a speedy fashion that will allocate capital efficiently. I think, uh, you know, as we've seen in the, the history, the state cannot take over that role. I think it's also difficult for banks to do that because the cycles of loan giving are obviously much longer. So I think for them to decide what is the most efficient and sustainable use is difficult. We will need a market instrument. And by the way, for example, in the trading of carbon uh, certificates, that already works quite well. A market is fluid and flexible. Absolutely. And um, I think that this report really hopes to contribute to that discussion. Uh, we look very much forward to presenting it uh, at the launch on the 2nd of March. This podcast will appear hopefully more or less at the same time. But I thank you very much, Reina, for sharing your thoughts of what we have been discussing in the task force and um, look forward to another discussion.